Welcome and thank you for downloading the Tailoring Talk podcast. I'm your host, Roberto Rivella. We're recording on Sunday, the 11th of July, 2021, and England are in the cup final. So there is a bit of a fiesta mood up and down the country today. If you hear any cars honking in the background, I apologize, but it's been happening all day. Such fun. This is episode 14, and I'm joined by a fellow podcaster today, all the way from Slovakia by way of Malaysia and Hong Kong. A psychology major who then reset and adjusted his career path to go back to school and pursue his passion for dance. He's since been a performing dancer for the Divadlo Studio Tanker in Slovakia, a producer, and more recently, he started a fantastic podcast called The Background Dancer. The Background Dancer is an absorbing listen combining performing arts with entrepreneurship. It's set to change the game for dancers worldwide when it comes to post-performance careers. Jason Yap, welcome to Tailoring Talk and thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Well, that is such a sensational introduction. My gosh, thank you so much for that. Yeah, I am great. I am a fan of England as well. So yeah, I'm delighted they are finally in a major finals after such a long time. But just all in all, great to see you. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I am I guess I'm kind of excited. Um, I mean, we've had so many years of disappointment because the English football team is you know, I think the closest they may have made a semi-final and then mostly they get to like the second round or the quarterfinals and then they bottle it, as we say over here. So I'm kind of excited for this evening. We've already ordered a, uh, and this isn't because of you, it's just pure coincidence, but we've ordered a Malay-inspired dinner for this evening because <laughs> recording I haven't got time to cook. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that as well, as long as the order doesn't get messed up. Um, so, uh, so yeah, look, the background dancer, it's really, I'm going to keep doing this, um, <laughs> but I can't praise what you've done enough, really. Because I kind of thought when we first got connected, I thought... You know, I, I have a passion for dance, right? I love the performing arts. I um, I studied drama and theatre arts for three years. I got a place at Rose Bruford in Leeds. I couldn't take that. We might get into that a bit later on. I couldn't take that up. And my career just went down a completely different path to where I really wanted to go. Um, but from a tailoring talk and a you know this podcast is an entrepreneurship kind of podcast we also talk about a load of other nonsense as well but um I, I kind of wasn't sure until I started listening to the background dancer and I've now subscribed it's a five-star podcast guys and girls listening really go find it on iTunes I was going to save this to the end I'm going to repeat it at the end but go <laughs> find it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you like to get your shows and hit subscribe if you have got any interest in performing arts, but you have also got a passing interest or a great interest in entrepreneurship and business, the principles of business are the same no matter what you do pretty much. And this is just, it's its just such a, a great immersive listen. So well done you. And I, I really, really I just thank you for producing such an amazing podcast, really. How's the last two months of podcasting been for you? Oh, thank you so much for that, Roberto. I really appreciate it. Uh, 
and yeah, like uh, it was it was a great coming together of sorts, you know, with regards to the podcast and how I found my way into a very special niche, actually, of talking about dance except for dance, right? Talking about mm. everything regarding dance except for the one thing the dance is mostly about, which is performing. So that's what my podcast is about. Uh, the last two months have been quite good, I would say, uh, normal. But, you know, since we're approaching the summer, yeah, you know, things are getting a little bit uh, more frenzied. I, I think that's a good way to put it because, you know, all the activities are popping back up, you know. And back, I think, when we started podcasting, we were just like, okay, there's nothing better to do right now, so let's do it. And then now it's just more like, gosh, okay, how am I going to fit this, you know, with my normal job and many other incoming and upcoming interests, you know. So that's a good challenge. But I would say, like you and me, hopefully, we have... The only constant that will never change is the fact that we'll keep podcasting because it's such a wonderful medium to connect with the rest of the world. And apart from my interest in dance and all that, it is actually this particular reason why I wanted to podcast. Are you finding, <clears throat> how many episodes in are you now? 19, 20? Yep, 19. 19 yeah, is my so last one. You're a few episodes ahead from me. I took a break at the end of April. Uh, no, was it beginning of April? Whenever. End of March, I took a break. And then I came back sort of early May. Um, and I just found I was exhausted. And I think it's just that initially, it's not something I'd ever done before. Uh, you hadn't done it before either. And so you're kind of learning these things all the way. And you don't really have anyone to show you what to do. I am on another podcast, a pop culture sort of podcast, where we review, um, you know, sort of books and films and movies, and I'm a geek. Um, so I, I did get some tips from my friends and my co-hosts there. But um, but yeah, I mean, this is just a completely new thing. And, you know, some of my friends were actually shocked because they were sort of saying, look, you know, I wasn't expecting you to produce such great quality work. I don't know if you've had the same feedback as well. Yeah, and, yeah. and and then you tell them what's involved and, you know, you explain that you do the recording and then you have to edit, 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 edit. And maybe I was kind of, you know, editing a bit too much, but, you know, episodes were taking anywhere between 12 working hours to a few days or sometimes I'd be working <laughs> on editing one episode for a whole week. But I mean, I've managed to streamline all of that now as, a, as, as you learn as you go along. Um, but twenty, nearly 20, 20 episodes in, I mean, you've had such a great range of guests. Um, and how are you... Uh, are you keeping a, a, a lot of those people as connections? Are they people that you already know from your industry? Uh, tell me a bit more about the guests that you've had so far and, and also any that have stood out for you. Oh yeah, definitely. I think when you're starting out, you have uh, this you would have this beggars can't choose mentality where, you know, you just kind of, you know, refer back to your existing contacts, you know. And thankfully over the years I have built a good reservoir of contacts, you know, let's say and it is very interesting because when I started the podcast, I had a very strict or very disciplined framework as to how I would approach it. So, you know, you've heard it it consists of multiple categories that revolve around dance. And I personally have an interest in all of these different categories. So throughout my years studying in Hong Kong and even before that, really building up, you know, the contact list, my network, 
of course, I know quite a number of people. But then when I maybe arrive at a point where, okay, this particular topic, I do not have such, you know, a broad understanding of, then I just have to go to the god of information right now, which is Google, right? And just look people up, Instagram. And there are a couple of them that I actually came across just by doing research, you know, just by having algorithms feed me information that they are already, you know, having, tracking and all these kinds of things. Um, But definitely the ones that I enjoyed most so far have been... Uh, actually a combination of both, you know, like the ones that I already knew from a long time ago, because then you had the chance to really deepen that relationship, that understanding. And then the other, the other one is like, oh, what a surprise. What a great guest, you know, what yeah. value, you know? So it's a very good combination of both. And I'm thankful so far that all of the guests that I have have been very eager to be part of the show as well. You know, it's not just like a one way, transaction it's a very mutually beneficial relationship and um, i can see that also for both of us yeah absolutely it's funny we've got a parallel between our two two podcasts because you know i'm tailoring talk you're the background dancer but the percentage of talk about tailoring on my podcast is very small compared to all the (laughs) other things that we tend to cover and uh i guess it's maybe not to such a great extent with because everything that you talk about on each episode is directly related to your industry in one way shape or form um and uh, yeah so so we've kind of got that in common i do, do you know there was the the i think it was about 3 episodes ago uh one episode you did with Erin Pride the dance dancepreneur or dance entrepreneur yeah. The thing that smacked me is that when you look at the principles and the fundamentals of business, they're pretty much the same whatever industry you're in. We're all selling something. We've all got some sort of product. In my case, obviously, it's clothing and it's image um, and it's time saving. Uh, Obviously, in your business, it's your talent, your God-given natural talent for dance and for interpretation through your body and you're amazing by the way i've seen some of your competition (laughs) dances and finals and stuff and you're absolutely amazing um so can you tell i'm really excited (laughs) (laughs) i've also i i I went cycling this morning and i found uh richmond park for the first time which is weird i mean as a cyclist i found it for the first time i've obviously been there before as a normal person but you know, London's parks are absolutely incredible, but I kind of just left at six o'clock this morning um, and uh, I didn't have a plan. I, I was just kind of, let's just see where things take me. And I had a bunch of podcasts lined up that I wanted to listen to this morning. And uh, about, f- and then eventually I ended up sort of towards southwest London and I thought, ah, while I'm down here, I saw the signs for Richmond. I might as well. Richmond's very famous for being extremely big and it's got loads of deer in there. There's like a herd of Mm. deer that have lived there for centuries. And um, I thought, oh, while I'm down here, I might as well go find Richmond Park because I've never been there before on my bike. And um, about five cemeteries later, is this Richmond Park? Is this Richmond Park? Is this Richmond Park? No, no, no. Uh, eventually I found Richmond Park. It is absolutely massive. Um, And I ended up kind of getting lost in there and cycling twice as much distance as I should have done. And then couple that with about seven (laughs) espressos today. And and then talking to you, I'm just 
sort of on the ceiling. And then oh, England being in the final me. tonight, such a great day. Um, sorry, anyway, so fundamentals of business, that's where I was. Um, so in my industry, people generally go work for a larger firm. Uh, so apply that to your industry, you start performing for a company, a dance company. Um, and then eventually uh, people split into two categories, either they're employees or they're entrepreneurs. Um, so Erin was talking about that, that, you know, she always knew that she had that spirit within her and that one day she was going to go and do something for herself. And that's what she's doing now um, with the dance Dancer, is it Dance Entrepreneur or Dance Entrepreneur Academy? I can't pronounce it. Well, yeah, it's it's absolutely the combination of the both. So it's Dance Entrepreneur. So she made it into Dancerpreneur. Dancer <laughs> so pr- just take out the tr. Dancerpreneur, yeah. the Dancerpreneur yeah. Academy. Yeah, now it makes yeah. sense. Um, and and she's doing she's doing great with that. Um, but. One thing that we're certainly not taught, and I'm guessing it's the same for dancers as well, is you're not taught the fundamentals of business. Um, so, you, so you almost go into dance hoping that you're going to be successful and you're going to have a career and you're going to be able to perform and you're going to keep getting work. Um, but at some point it's going to end, as it does for all of us. And, and But then for dancers specifically, it's kind of then, that I, I'm guessing they're not, taught or you're not taught what happens when it does come to an end when physically you can't do it anymore or you're not booking work and suddenly you've got to go find the next thing absolutely i mean erin illustrated the whole industry in its most cruel reality very very eloquently in that episode where you know she said that okay she did not learn the fundamentals of business in her degree, in her master's. And it's the same. I have had multiple conversations with many people and I, it's just basically, I think, a bit of a short-sightedness from the industry itself, knowing or I think it's maybe too much of an idealism where everybody who goes into a dance degree or an education is expected to first become a performer. And even if you're an educator, which is probably the second most popular profession after performing um, you're just sort of being paid once again as you've already mentioned being affiliated with a larger company now very few have that courage firstly and then the ability to be a self-made person right a self-made talent and even if you're a freelance artist uh, a lot of artists do not like to handle that part of the job. So what they would do is they outsource that part of the job to a producer or to a project manager to do so. And then they could sort of just concentrate on creating. So someone like Erin, for someone like Erin, she has had to, and also me to many regards, like we've had to arrive at a very frustrating point in our lives where we know deep down in ourselves that we have a an overwhelming capability to do something, but very underwhelming circumstances. So we've had to go and cross that line, push the boundaries and find how we can basically marry the two. And for her, I would say, she probably did not say this in the episode, but it was a long journey for her to get to where she is right now, right? From maybe just a couple of hundred dollars a month in revenue and income to about 8K 
as one person. And she's doing mostly an, an online business. So without a brick and mortar service as well. And of course, all of this is in America, but it's definitely replicable across the world. Um, so for me, it's it speaks a lot to why the industry has not moved forward for a very, very long time, because we've basically adopted the same principles that were used maybe 20, 30 years ago, thinking that they're still applicable now. And someone like Erin, who has a little bit more prescience in that sense, has already taken the next step. And I feel, yes, you know, when I when I interviewed her, the first thing I felt for myself was, thank God, you know, I've come across this person because I did not know online business for the art of dance could exist in this manner. I know people have been doing online businesses forever, but it's very, let's say, uncommon for dance to be approached in this way. You know, once again, we always go back to, can you get a job as a performer if you can't go and teach? And that's about it, you know. And yeah, if you want to open a business about shoes or costumes or whatever, do your thing. But online business performance coaching, wow, uh, that is something different. And I'm pretty sure it's been around for a long time, but uh, it's not really mainstream yet. And just as uh, presented within the the episode, it could be such a favorable career path, actually, if one puts their heart and soul into it. And that what and that's what Erin has demonstrated, I believe. Yeah. But I think what your industry needs, and it's certainly the same for a lot of other industries, mine included, um, is to break out of these cliques that, that, you know, these people tend to be quite insular. They tend to be in their own little groups of networks and so on. And, and it's very um, dog eats dog. So when it, you know, even the thought of helping someone else is not second nature to people in the performing arts industry as it is, again, in, in many other areas as well. And what's refreshing is to see people like you and Erin and a lot of other people within your network that are now appearing on your show. You're obviously on this journey for yourselves, but you're also thinking outward to the rest of your industry and to dancers, young up and coming dancers, or even people who aren't even there yet. They're probably, I mean, even I, I really hope you've got a lot of younger listeners as well who, who who are maybe in their early teens that are kind of going through that sort of rise through to hopefully one day becoming a professional dancer. But you're actually thinking about how you can help these people and give them the preparation that you guys certainly never had and that they're still probably, because the industry's stuck, are not going to get without people like you, Erin, et al. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's basically it. You know, it definitely originated from my own personal frustrations that I was at a point where I could have been one of those people extremely lost not having the, the job that I have right now I'm incredibly fortunate to have this job but I could have been anyone else and it's you know it, all my brethrens in dance right like I see them right I communicate with them and they you know of course most 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 recently with the pandemic and all that all of these struggles have been heightened right like they were not prepared for this they did not have anything in their arsenal to take the next step, you know, and they were, they're all young people. Like you've mentioned, the majority of my listeners are between the age of 18 to 30. And this, the, this group, this age group is 
honestly the most critical group in the industry. They are the ones that move the industry forward, either as a performer or not. But once again, that you know, when you talk about dance, nobody goes into dance thinking they want to become a dance teacher or dance entrepreneur. Everyone wants to dance, including me. However, the reality is, how many of those people actually get to realize it when they do graduate from a degree or whatever? It's minimal. It is. It's really minimal. So, you know, I wanted to provide that part of the industry a gaping hole of saying yes. You know, from a very young age, you can already imagine what else you can do. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's wonderful that uh, someone like you acknowledges that even not coming from the dance industry, which is wonderful, even better even. So yeah, no, I mean, look, <clears throat> it's not even just about acknowledging what you're doing. I, you know, listening to a few episodes already, I, I'm going to go and start again from the beginning and follow through because I run my own business. I wear pretty much every single hat that you can in a in a small to medium-sized business I mean, our accountant who does our audit every year is absolutely amazed that uh, the amount of work that me and my wife actually do. But I mean, that's what happens when you're the son of immigrant Asian parents, right? I mean, I was put I was put to work the moment I could talk and walk, um, crawl even. Um, but I I just get so much out of it and this is why I I can't recommend your podcast enough to anyone who is in business is looking to go into business for themselves or is an entrepreneur Um, because the the lessons that you get out of the conversations with every single one of your your guests um, are so valuable and so applicable Um, but also, it's a really refreshing take because there are so many business and entrepreneurship podcasts out there, um, but they all kind of sound a bit samey after a while. And and also, they're very self-serving, whereas yours isn't that. You're coming at it from a point of view of trying to help other people. Yeah. And, and whether that was intentional, I think now having got to know you, that that was intentional from the beginning. Um, and so, you know, acknowledgement is, it's not just mere acknowledgement. It's, you know, you're, you're, I'm, I'm a loyal fan (laughs) and and I'm sure all your other listeners are anyway, sorry, I digress. So you were talking about graduation there and I actually really, you've probably told this story like 500 times. Um, but I'm really interested in how you got to dance because I was doing the maths in my head And I've kind of worked out, so I work for a couple of dancers who are on Strictly Come Dancing here in the UK. And, uh, you know, when they get quite far in the competition, then, you know, their little showreel shows, you know, them dancing as little people when they're like six years old in some ballroom competition or doing ballet when they're three. And that wasn't you. So you've come to dance quite... Well, I say late in life, you're still very young, but you originally wanted to be a basketball coach, right? When you were growing up. Wow. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's a great piece of information. I, I do not know how you found that out, but <laughs> that is definitely I, a, a yeah, fact. You'd be surprised what I can find <laughs> out about people. That is a, a fact that I talk a lot about in other maybe interviews or podcast episodes that I've been on myself. Uh, that's only because I played a lot of basketball growing up. So 
you know, I like the idea of managing. I like the idea of coaching. I really love developing people and myself. So I guess the natural course of action was to become a coach. And I did not, I did yeah. not get to study dance immediately after I graduated from high school. I started dance just before I graduated from high school. So unlike, I use this analogy quite often. So when you are going into an academic institution at the tertiary educational level, most of the time people can get into those educational institutions bar like the Cambridges and all these, um, what do you call them again? Uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, I forgot what's the name, but the, the, fancy the, the Ivy League, the Ivy Leagues, yes. So, so unless it's the Ivy League, yeah. most of the time you probably stand a chance to get into those institutions because you've had your whole life to prepare for it, right? So every single transcript that you have accumulated across the years can be used in some ways to gain entry. However, just like you and me, you're, yours and Rose Bruford and mine in Hong Kong, if you want to get, gain entry into an art academy, you need to know how to do the art in the first place. So unless you have some inborn, incredible talent to pick up the art in like a couple of years to gain entry, then fine, great for you. But the majority of us do not have that talent. So I myself wasn't able to do that on first try. So I wanted to audition for a number of institutions, couldn't get in because I was just not good enough, you know, just horrible at it. You know, I just did not have enough preparation or training at the time so i had to go into a degree first so i chose psychology because i always thought that it was very interesting it was very artistic in the way it was all about the human mind and i love the human mind so that allowed me to first appease my asian parents as you know and sort of okay settle down everybody i'm going to finish this by hook or by crook but at the same time i kept dancing because i never truly gave up on that dream i always had it sort of in my back pocket thinking that this could potentially be a way out in the future or even become eventually my profession so there were many many junctures throughout my studies in psychology where i wanted to give up dance but thankfully that did not happen I think it's a combination of resilience, but also luck. And after that, I was able to formally pursue it as a as a degree, actually, when I got the chance to do it, because they finally accepted me. So I auditioned and I was good enough at the time because I already trained for a couple more years, right? And really, that was just my dream. You know, I never really wanted to do professional dancing. I just like, okay, I just want to study dance, like have that environment where you wake up every single day and go, the one thing I'm going to do is the one thing I love most. And how many people get to say that, right? So studying that was a dream. So I did that for four years. And I realized that if you're going to put your heart and soul into something, you might as well do it for a job as well. (laughs) So, you know, natural course of action. (laughs) Next step was to can you do it as a job? you know, at the next level, at that level, survival level. And that's what got me to Slovakia, which I am in right now. And honestly, the job that I have right now, a lot of people would want because it is a full-time employing job, which means you get social health benefits. And that is crazily rare. You know, most dancers have to settle for a freelancer's job, but I have the backing of the institution and the backing of the government, in fact. Um, so that's really great. Never thought this this would ever happen. Nothing in my mother's imagination could have landed me at this spot. But really, I think it's really a combination, once again, of that luck and also putting yourself in the positions to succeed. Um, so, yeah, and just, just to touch a little bit on the podcasting side, uh, 
so definitely it was my intention to help everyone. And and the funny thing is that when I designed the framework of the podcast, my initial intention was not to educate people about dance. Was It was mostly to sort of approach people from outside of dance. So people like you um, and invite them within the dance industry through other means. Yeah, so I talk about things from technology to fashion to business to uh, management to politics to education. And if you're not really interested in dance, um, you might be too interested in it via this different medium or different topic. Of course, most of them have to do with the dance industry to some extent, uh, but you don't necessarily have to be a performer to like what I talk about because it's just not about that anymore. You know, so And I think it's working quite well because literally there are people who come up to me and go like, I don't know anything about dance, but geez, like, I can resonate with you just because you talked about my particular industry. So yeah, you know, the person was a tech guy. It's like, okay. That's interesting. Or the person was from fashion. Then, wow. Okay. So yeah, uh, really, once again, just to open up the mind, you know, like um, no tunnel visioning yeah. is good. Tunnel visioning is really, really good. But yeah, you know, open up the mind. I think the thing is, is that the, the struggles are the same for a lot of people. Like they might not be identical, but, you know, the kind of struggles are kind of the same. I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm not employed. I'm for all intents and purposes, I'm a freelancer. I, you know, the people who employ me are my clients, but they're not. It's it's really hard to describe, right? You know, if someone's not commissioning me for new clothes or to help them with some clothing-related problem, I have no work. So when the pandemic hit. And then suddenly we couldn't move around anymore and we had to stay at home. And then companies had all their employees working from home. So all of a sudden my clients didn't need to wear anything more than a pair of, well, probably they didn't wear anything. <laughs> they were just wearing their underpants. Just, you know, get out of bed, go sit at the desk with whatever they're wearing. Don't bother getting dressed. That's it. So a lot of people have had their suits sitting in the wardrobe for 18 months. And they obviously people haven't been able to go to weddings. They've not been able to go to events. They've not been traveling. So suddenly I've got no income. So, you know, again, you translate that to try and keep things relevant back to someone who's in the performing arts, because that has been a huge problem, even to this day. I mean, we, hopefully theatres will be opening up soon, although... 19th of July is when all of the restrictions are meant to be en ending over here. But there's already talk that there could be an announcement on Monday that they might put it back a little bit further because cases have been going up again. Um, and for people in the performing arts, I mean, there was, Andrew Lloyd Webber was sort of big in the news recently because he basically said, come hell or high water, if they extend res restrictions, he... He's threatening to basically ignore and to go ahead. And I think it's Cinderella is his new West End show. He's going to go ahead and just launch and hang the consequences. And I, some people have criticised him for being irresponsible. And people like me are like, do you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. Like I've, I've had enough of my income my livelihood being bounced around and all the excess stress that that puts on to an individual and to families and so on for for a lot of people who are in theater acting and, and so on 
where theatres have been shut down. I mean, they're, they're either just kind of sitting, doing nothing, or they're trying to turn their hand to something else in the meantime. Some are a lot, actually, in, in the industry are actually giving up and trying to pursue other career options. Um, it's, it's just awful. Um, so I have no idea where I'm actually going right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, just to add on to that, like, it, it's the pain, right? Like, people... People experience struggle and pain at very different levels. And, you know, alluding to your point, one of the biggest performing arts centers in my country, Malaysia, is soon to be shut down because we've been in lockdown for more than a year. And how is that even possible? They employ at least 50 people in that center. And everybody is probably going to be transitioned into either a contract-based thing from full-time employment, or basically the whole thing is going to shut down, you know, like retrenchment, right? So... It's 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 hard for people to understand because at the very end of the day, we all know when we have this food chain, food pyramid thing. Uh, I like to allude to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know the psychological tenet that yes, arts is really really at the 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 top end. You know it's reserved for luxury and leisure and it's hard to get hard to understand it's not at the bottom where you can access it quite easily and it's not needed it's just not essential you know so people can go yeah you know let that shut down or whatever and andrew with all respect to him i can feel his pain just like you and i you know and uh, i don't know when things are ever going to change uh where we will come to a point where arts is so needed for Various reasons. I mean, it, it is needed. Everybody it, knows it, it is needed. Yeah, everybody knows this, but it's it is just needed. not in the policy. Yeah, yeah. So, so take the Euros, right? So Euro twenty twenty. That they, I think it's still called Euro twenty twenty <laughs> yes, yeah. because it was meant to be last year, and because of all the marketing, they spent so much money on the merchandising and the branding and yeah, stuff yeah. of it that to then call it Euro twenty twenty one meant a load of t shirts were going to go in the bin. Um, but you know the the euros now and especially in this country with england having got to the final which never happens or hasn't happened for 55 years um it's just captured the imagination of the entire country um and then obviously we had wimbledon and the tennis going on in the background as well but i mean you know there are we've had car horns going off all day people have been out with england flags as capes and flying from their cars and stuff <laughs> now some might argue that football is not an art form it's a sport. Uh, I mean, they do call it the beautiful game for a reason. Um, but it's been missing from our lives, right? I mean, look, football was going on, but crowds weren't allowed at matches. The difference between watching a football match with no crowd, in which kept most of us, like myself included, just gave up watching football because even though it was televised, it, there was just no atmosphere, just kind of sucked the life out of it, not having people in the stadium, to all of a sudden seeing semi to full stadiums of people cheering and happy and getting drunk and smashing things up, which is what, again, we tend to do over here, um, has has just been fantastic to see after 18 months of that missing from our lives. And now... The next thing, so I think Maslow really needed an alternative hierarchy of needs, right? Because you have your hierarchy of needs, which is what you need to do to basically survive just as an organism. But then you have a hierarchy of needs 
of which the arts and being inspired and your imagination captured um that that has been missing i cannot wait to get back into a theater i cannot wait to see some of our favorite dance companies come back to the uk and put shows on and to be sat there as far front as i can get in a theater so that I can watch what these amazing people do, that has been missing from our lives. And anyone who says that they could go the rest of their lives not going to a theatre or a cinema or going to see a music concert or something ever again, <laughs> I, I do not understand them. Yes. I, I don't know. Have you heard of this? Uh, another analogy, once again, right? So uh, a lot of people say they like to drink, uh, they like to party, they like to drive, they like to uh, watch football matches, and they like to watch dance shows or musicals. And I back to defer. I propose something completely different, which is none of these people like to do any of these things. They just need that to be with other people. Right, so it's the the socialization. Yeah, because how many times have you heard, you know, at the end of a long day or something, you've been with a colleague and they go, uh, "Actually, let's just not go home just yet. I need yeah, a drink." Yeah, exactly. Right. So maybe, or I need to do this. Exactly. I need to do that. I need to. You need to <laughs> yeah. let your hair down. So I mean, subset. I don't want to. Uh, there's a small subset of people who, for example love the game so much like football and love dance so much like me that I don't even need anyone else in order to appreciate it. Like I do study football that way. However, that is not the masses. And that's why you can garner up 50, 60,000 people overnight to go to stadiums because they want to be part of that. And also for theaters for sure. So yeah, that's just the reality of it. <laughs> one of my, one of my friends, his brother um, has a ticket for the final and someone offered him £10,000 to give it up, <laughs> and he refused. It wasn't even, in his mind, it was not even a conversation. He was like, I am not going to miss being in Wembley Stadium for this event for any amount of yeah. money. Now, if it was me, I actually would have a price, because, you know, I quite <laughs> happily go watch it on TV at home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's just me. You know, but then that's it. You know, he's pro he's he's probably a professional person with a steady salary, and he's not been affected the last eighteen months. People like me and you be like, how much? Yep. yep. How, much? how much? Ten thousand. God, that's gonna feed me for a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, take it. <laughs> you can exactly. That's it. That's it. But that's the thing, right? So, you know, I've I've got um one of my uh one of my clients who was on Strictly. Um, uh, I know. And look, nobody quote me on this. This is these are just things that I've picked up generally, and I'm I'm not going to name who it is. People will probably work it out from my social media anyway. But um, they were on Strictly for a number of seasons, and then I think they found out that they were being relegated to background dancer, so they were kind of being elbowed sort of out. But it, but they weren't told directly, which is kind of a typical BBC thing. And um, so his last season on the show as a main dancer um, was kind of bittersweet because he, he loves it there. It's like a big family, right? And the professional dancers are doing what they love to do, which is to A, dance and B, teach, especially teaching someone 
who doesn't, in most celebrity cases, have a dance background. I would be one of those if ever I was famous enough one day to then be invited onto Strictly. They would have, I would go out in the first week because if my wife was here, she'd tell you a tree has got more <laughs> hip action than I have. Oh, I love the jokes. Oh my gosh. We, we, um, we went to Cuba one Christmas about, it's probably about 10 years ago, a couple years after we were married. Might even have been, I can't remember, whatever, anyway, it was a while ago. And uh, we were on a resort and uh, a hurricane hit the islands. So we had to stay in quite a large amount of the time. And so the staff were trying to find activities for us to do. And one of, on one of the days, they decided to put on uh, dance lessons. So Cuban salsa. And my wife, you know, she's she's got moves. Um, you know, she's got natural rhythm. And um, so so we signed up for it. So uh, so we're standing there in the line and uh, I was the only person who looks like me. So sort of tall, dark, no hair. Um, they couldn't quite place where I was from. And I very jokingly earlier in the week when they'd said, where are you from? And I was like, oh, from Cuba, but I managed to escape. <laughs> but I said it as a joke, but they took it seriously because obviously the difference is when you're from different countries and so on, the nuances in accent, another English speaker would have got it, but someone who's not. So anyway, so they thought I was one of them. You know, maybe I'd escape when I was a small child or something. So, um, so anyway, so, so, so they're all kind of nudging themselves and looking at me and they're like, we're really glad that you're here today. You're going to be so good at this. You're really going to enjoy it. Um, because obviously Cubans have like Brazilians, they've got natural rhythm. Um, so they started the music and they started to do the first few steps. Right. And so me and my wife were, well, my wife was doing it and then she was kind of dragging me around the dance floor and then we just looked and then they stopped the music and they were all kind of in a huddle talking to each other. And then they turned around and they said, you're not Cuban. <laughs> Oh, blimey, now you realise <laughs> that. Completely deadpan. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, I digress. So, look, I can't dance for a toffee. Um, I, um, so I, um, so, so anyway, I was talking about my Strictly person. So, I think for Strictly for a season, they get paid about 100000 for for doing that show, which is, you know, it's a decent year's salary, right? And... You know, where we see those people and when you look at professional dance companies that come over here and put shows on at places like the Royal Opera House and, and so on, um, you know, the lead dancers are, are famous. I mean, they're celebrities. But I think the problem is, is that people associate the word celebrity with having lots of money and not worrying about anything. And I learned firsthand from my French stroke client that that is not the case. Because when that came to an end, all of a sudden, yeah, he had some work afterwards because obviously Strictly ends on TV and then they have the kind of live tour and that sort of thing. But then it was like, I don't know what I'm doing next after this because this has ended and it doesn't look like there's going to be any way back. So what do I do now? Um, and, and that must be quite a scary thing. Um, 
but then no again we talked about this before but no one's addressed that before which is what you're trying to do now because this is would you say this is the single most pressing issue in your industry yeah for sure for sure yes uh I I I would believe that that particular person could immediately just get another job even before, like f- quicker than it would take for for you to leave a grocery shop to your car, um, because being so famous in the industry, oh absolutely, you're gonna get a job, yeah, yeah. But but as but as freelancers, we all have that fear. We do, we do, right? We have it, and it's it's a growing I, I fear, have that. and it's a uh, it's a it's there to stay, I think, those kinds of fears. But honestly, that fear is what drives us forward as well, right? Like it drives us to be more creative, a little bit more engaging with whoever our audiences or our customers would be. Um, there are always two sides to the coin. You know, when you have a job like mine, there's also the possibility of you just being completely complacent and not having any drive because you're always provided. And some of the most creative people I know in the world are mostly freelancers because they just have to do it to survive, you know, and and I think that's wonderful. I do believe that uh, everybody who has some sort of dance training, let's say, particularly for this conversation, everyone who has that kind of training can transfer the skills into another sector or industry very, very easily. That's just the nature of our training most of the time. We have very transferable skills. The only issue is whether the person is willing to transition him or herself because I can probably do something else right now. I just do not want to do it because I don't love it. And I think most of the time we're always driven by that as well. That's our motor, that emotional kind of cathartic need to be a dancer to be a performer to be providing sharing that kind of experience for people instead of maybe for example sitting and behind a desk and managing an artist instead because i think many people could do that too but that's not what they like so it has been maybe relegated or shoved aside as sort of an afterthought careers like this has probably been labeled as it's imminent right it's soon to come you're always going to get there at some point so why don't you focus on dance first worry about that later because at some point you have to do it anyways but then for me i rather have it simultaneously you know grow that awareness simultaneously even if you could like equip yourself with those skills simultaneously so when the day finally comes where either you break your leg you know or you just completely lose love for the for the art which happens quite a lot as well uh, mental health issues and all that kinds of stuff you're you have a gateway to another world you have a gateway to another opportunity without having to sacrifice everything or compromise all of your previous training and last but not least your integrity as an artist you know so that's very very i think that's that's one of the shortcomings of our industry for sure not just in dance but across all genres within the performing arts uh, but like you said you know struggles that we face in this industry is shared by struggles everywhere else in the world you know uh one very very one of my favorite quotes i always hear is like uh the most personal struggles are the most universal struggles and that's yeah yeah couldn't be could it be emphasized even more do you envisage yourself 
in what what does the future hold for you do you think so actually in the immediate future things are starting to open back up so you're you said earlier that you're starting to get busier again thankfully um what's uh what's the company working on right now what are you producing right now so uh i'll be completely honest with you my company is very much a traditional framework company so we are we live and breathe within the theater and if we could do live performances that's what we're going to do hopefully tour a little bit around europe let's say and just Mm -hmm. go back to normal now that's completely fine and i cannot wait to do that personally though i have um i envisage something completely different or slightly different from what my company does and that is I think COVID, you probably agree with me, has taught us one too many lessons. And one of those lessons is do not mm. underestimate the power of the internet, right? And not just that, do not even underestimate what's in the future for the internet. So one of the things that has probably propped up you know, more often than not is the fact that you could, by hook or by crook, still appreciate art like football from a television set. Um, and I think that could be the next frontier for the arts where because of the threats that <laughs> exist towards the arts, we have to maybe apply a, a, a hybrid, a, a sort of a hybrid approach where you can go to the theater to watch your stuff, but everyone else in the world who cannot attend that live gets to attend it elsewhere, just like a football match. But it's always done black or white. Well. I don't know if they do it so much, but they've been doing it for a while over here, yeah. pre-COVID anyway. So View Cinemas over here um, regularly put on performances of big shows like Les Mis. And, you know, if there's a particular dance company that's coming over here um, or a theatre company that's coming over here to put a production on, um, they like the National Theatre, for example, a lot of National Theatre shows, you can actually buy a ticket and go sit in the comfort of a cinema and watch it there if you can't actually get to the theatre. Mm-hmm. I personally haven't done it. I Sky, uh, Sky Arts, throughout the pandemic, they have shown uh, live theatre. So I guess the performers were in an empty theatre and then obviously being filmed in broadcast live out. And, and we tried to do some of those, but... I just, it's not the same as actually being there. Exactly. Yeah. It it just isn't the same. I I totally agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with your point, but it just isn't the same. And I, I know, you know, times are changing and humans evolve and all of that sort of stuff. But I was talking about this the other day with a client because we were, you know, he was saying that there's obviously going to be a fundamental change in the way that we work and whether people working in an office or not and so on. And I said to him, there will be a change, yes, but COVID hasn't been around long enough to cause a fundamental change in human behaviour. Human behavioural change comes when you have a generation or two pass. That's what it takes to have fundamental change. And so I firmly believe that, you know, in a generation or two, we probably will have very few offices and people will be working wherever and working from home and, you know, wearing sportswear and all this <laughs> other horrible stuff. Um, but um, because the generation that's growing up now, they, they live on devices. 
right? So one of my clients early on in the pandemic, about six months in, he's got a three-year-old and I said to him, hey, how's your, how's your little one doing? Are they oblivious to it? Or, And he said, well, he said, the interesting thing is they do so much in an iPad these days that he was looking out the window one day and there were cars going past and he kept hitting the glass. <laughs> like trying to interact oh with it. Gosh. Now, I don't know if that's happened to anyone else or if it's just this one kid, <laughs> which then, you know, maybe raises some questions about parenting skills and that sort of thing. I really yeah. hope this guy doesn't listen to this yeah. podcast. Otherwise, I've lost a customer. Um, but but it, the greater point was generationally, you know, certainly, you know, my age, when I was a kid... We didn't have all of this stuff. You know, if you wanted to use the phone, didn't have a mobile phone until I was about 18, 19 years old. Before that, it was a case of having to use the phone at home, you know, and then you're basically dragging the receiver with the long telephone cord and stretching it out and shutting yourself into a cupboard door so your mum and dad can't hear your conversation because you're trying to ring some girl that you fancy. And then you hear your mum breathing on the other line upstairs. Um <laughs> Uh, you know all of that yeah, stuff yeah. you know I've we, been there. you know when we when we wanted to watch tv we only had five channels unless you were rich enough to have cable tv uh, and then when you wanted to entertain yourself at weekends basically you just just go out with your friends and just go to the park and you know someone would bring a ball or a cricket bat and pads and that sort of stuff we you know we just didn't do as much as kids and even adults actually do these days on electronic devices it's crazy um so then when you translate that back to entertainment yeah you're probably 100 percent right it is gonna it's gonna go that way to an extent but i would really hate for us to to get to a point in in human future (laughs) where live performance is no longer a thing that would that's just awful Really, that's a dystopian that, future. That I don't is even definitely want to think about. true. I guess the thing that I can say is technology will definitely not be able to provide us with the exact same experience. But what technology could possibly do is minimize or minimize the differences between what's real and what's alternate, right? So maybe what we like to call now an immersive experience. You know, how close can you get to the actual live event? I think that's maybe the next frontier for us knowingly consciously knowing that it's not the same but you know it does provide an option for people who cannot get the very best because as you know uh, as much as we want to be in the theaters 90 percent of people cannot afford to be in those theaters in the first place anyways right but they can afford to be yeah this is true computer screen on a rundown 10 year old laptop let's say I remember my uh, my mother-in-law was coming over from Spain to visit and my wife said, oh, go and get tickets at the Royal Opera House because the Nutcracker, I think, was on or something. Uh, or was it Swan? Is it Swan, Swan Lake? Lake? Yeah. The one with all the swans. And that's going to cost like £100 or something. <laughs> Obviously. Like, that, you know, like £200 or something. Are you kidding? I wish. Yeah, it's more. Oh my that gosh. was... Yeah, it was. I remember, and this was like ten years oh ago, God. right? It was, uh, and no, it was more than ten years ago because uh, I think we'd got engaged, but we hadn't told them, uh-huh. and I wanted to impress them, and they love the Royal Opera House in in Covent Garden. They absolutely love that place. It's one of their favourite venues to visit when they're here, and so I wanted to impress them. We just got engaged. We hadn't told them. Um, 
and uh, I remember it costing somewhere for the four of us somewhere in the region of twelve hundred quid. My goodness! So what's that? About three hundred a yeah. ticket? That's Pounds. crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I'll admit, I love, I love live performance and I love art and dance and everything. But really, I was getting so visually during that one. <laughs> to see that fly out of your it wallet, kind of, on one night, boring. One night, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's not even including everything that you do before and after. You go and get pre pre theater drinks or pre theater dinner, or you might do dinner art, but it doesn't matter. And then you know, dinner in central London, if you go to a half decent place, if you're trying to impress people, is a hundred pounds a head. So. Mm. You know, you've blown the best part of two grand <laughs> for four people. It's crazy. So you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. I take back some of what I said. Technology definitely has its place, and definitely has its place in making things more accessible to a much wider yeah. audience. And we should see that as a positive thing. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so your podcast is starting to evolve and starting to find its own identity. I'm not even sure mine is yet. <laughs> well, started, maybe this is the identity. Started off as tailoring. Were you like, like the early episodes up to about episode seven? It was like welcome to tailoring tech and talk because originally it was meant to be like a three segment show, right? Tailoring for twenty minutes and then talk about technology for twenty minutes and then talk to someone <laughs> for twenty minutes. <laughs> and it, it just it's just become a talk show, which is fine. Yeah. It's great, and it's even better for me because I get to meet some amazing people like you, and I just get to learn so Thank much you. and make some wonderful connections as well. Um, so you know how 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 do you how do you feel it's taking shape in and especially in relation to your kind of this new mission statement mm. that you have. All that I've given you inadvertently. Yeah. I don't know great, which one Great it is. introduction. That could be the next mission statement. So I might need to text you so you can send me that one. Because <laughs> I might just... Do... I'll, I'll, I'll WhatsApp it to you. I've got it written down. Yeah. Uh, that, that, Wait, great you, haven't question. Heard the, you haven't heard my outro yeah, yet. Okay. I'll, I'll look forward to that one. Um, <laughs> I started the podcast very strictly just to provide people with enough information, hopefully valuable information for for career advice driven stuff, right? So I wanted people to have an outlet or a platform to go to in order to learn about what careers are out there as a dancer. So everything that I ask on my show, as you've probably heard already, is really just to get the best out of that. The most valuable piece of information that could lead somebody to choose a particular career if it's not performance. As I go along, I realized that firstly, uh, I enjoy my episodes more than probably everyone does, just as probably as you just said, you know, like you, you love what you do. That, I mean, you, you're, you're trying to give it to the audience, but like, man, like I, I could listen back to all those episodes myself a hundred times because I'm learning so much out of all my guests, right? And the one thing that I learn more yeah. about or most about compared to, let's say, the valuable uh, information of which career and how to get there is just their stories. You know, their stories are so interesting. Yeah. So the next, I would say the next step for me is learning how to put that two together. Like, I mean, I'm already doing it to a certain extent, but really even sort of 
elevating my game up to the point where, yeah, you're listening to an actual storybook that gives you career advice at the same time. That would be really great. <laughs> yeah, it would be something like on Audible yeah. or something like that. So, yeah, that would be my next step. You, you even published as well as a yep. book, a, a collection of inspired stories, yep. Yep. right? I, I could see that as well, definitely. And and you're so early in, and you've done so much already. God, there's just <laughs> I can't wait to get stuck into it again. Um, but the other thing, I guess, where I'm trying to sort of drive you a little bit, because this struck me, and it must you must have thought about it. Um, you're you're bringing this awareness on a podcast. But this could turn into something a lot bigger. Could you ever see yourself, maybe in years to come, maybe not the immediate future, as someone who, if things like what you're doing and Erin Pride are doing and others doesn't catch fire enough, could you see yourself taking up the mantle of being a spokesperson and and, and really trying to push this help that you're giving in a small way now onto a much bigger platform yeah. absolutely i one thing i like to say a lot about my work especially regarding the podcast is that i'm talking about something that people would only appreciate five years from now and i think a lot of what we do tends to be that way so for example i would love to one day build a product that will be enjoyed by performers and artists alike but probably only appreciate it 10 years later. You know what I mean? So for sure, I, I think I'm already sort of an ambassador for the wider ecosystem of dance, let's say, or performing arts, um, because things that I am talking about really always ushering in awareness, right? In that way, I'm my own spokesperson or by default, I am a spokesperson for the industry. And thankfully, people like you as well who have given me great reception, wonderful feedback saying that yeah like we need more people like this you know leaders who are not afraid to pioneer a certain channel of communication a certain domain of knowledge and it, are probably okay with it only being appreciated five years from now you know i think a lot of the geniuses of the world never had instant gratification at, at the top of their list but go well, i'm gonna build a product like steve jobs probably did like for 10 years later and when you know probably when zoom was created nobody knew what the heck that was for and then suddenly zoom has become the number one <laughs> product for for this because of the pandemic right so anything could happen yeah. in the future you just have to be prepared for it you know so i i do definitely hope to prepare my community better for it and as a result myself for sure being the main beneficiary of my own information yeah i am um, lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> there I'll, I'll edit that out <laughs> i totally <laughs> lost my train of thought because my mind it's it's not even so much that i lost my train of train of thought it's just that I can just see so much potential for what you're doing. And also I'm because of the way my mind works, because it just never stops spinning. And uh, to be honest, I'll tell you, it's exhausting, yeah. really. But also that's what got 
me and my business through the pandemic as well. Um, but that's a story maybe for a different show or another time. Um, but it's so translatable to, I can think of at least a dozen other industries where this type of education is completely overlooked. And it means that people are either left to fend for themselves and they're they're almost allowed to fail. And that's seen as failure in its purest sense, mm-hmm. right? In that, you know, from that really um, negative human kind of way, um, you know, you're a complete loser. You didn't make it. You're on the scrap heap. You're not worthy, right? Um, or they've actually got to the end of the road in whatever it was they were doing and then they've managed to find a role selling a product service whatever starting a business out of it but because they've not had any of that business training they've got no idea about how to run a business accounts finances customer service marketing and so on they do it really really badly and then they give themselves and their wider industry, a bad reputation. So an immediate obvious example is the building industry. Like builders, <laughs> a lot of builders are actually crap at building things. <laughs> um, but you can even have builders who are actually really good at building things and they'll build you, say, the most beautiful house. But when it comes to running a business and everything that goes along with that, they're absolutely crap at it. And it's not necessarily because they're bad people. It's because nobody showed them how. Yeah. There is an argument to say, well, you know, they could have actually bothered to take the time to learn. Exactly. But, (laughs) you know, so so again, take the builder as an example. If they're going to like a master craftsman school or college or whatever to, to learn how to lay bricks or whatever it is, the same as a dancer goes to dance academy um, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, it would be great if those institutions integrated a bit of the kind of yeah, what I'm yeah. saying, Jason, is basically in 20 years time, I expect to see the Jason Yap <laughs> Academy for dance yes. and entrepreneurship. Oh, thank, you. thank you for that. Right. Yeah. In every single country across the world. Yeah. Right? No dancer, no dancer left behind. Yes. No performer yeah. left behind. Yeah. Hey, that, that's inspirational. Thank you for, for, for cracking that, opening that can of worms. Because, you know, I'm always constantly looking for ideas as to how to progress uh, my own business or my own brand. I, but just to add on to what you said. So uh, a, a very close analogy to our industry is that a lot of the bosses or a lot of the leaders in our industry are were incredible artists, but horrible bosses. Yeah, And I think it's quite similar to maybe even a corporate setting where the natural ascendancy line of ascendancy is just work your way up the ladder without having a real contribution to your eventual job so you might become you know it's just natural course that you become a manager and managers get paid more and are ranked higher but you were doing completely something else when you were not a manager yet but because they had to promote you they had to give you a managerial job so i do not know why isn't why there isn't a chief executive clerk or something like that because if you're a clerk then do the clerk stuff that are really good but you have to become the chief executive officer and manage other clerks and because you do not have that training or awareness then you become a horrible boss 
So that happens a lot as well in my industry. I've had um, inroads with a lot of these people myself, and I go, yeah, like why are they the bosses of our industry and giving us a bad rap? You know, not because they are horrible at the artistic stuff, but the managerial stuff instead, or the entrepreneurial stuff, as you've mentioned, and just everything else they did not bother to care about before they had to transition to the afterlife. Air quotes, you know. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like we could like talk and talk <laughs> and talk, but. Um, I appreciate that we're kind of getting to the end of our time together today, but I really have a feeling you and I are going to collaborate in some way, shape or form again in the near future. Absolutely. And I'd love to have you back on at some point sooner rather than later, actually. Yeah. I honestly could talk about this all day. Um, Jason, where can, aside from the podcast, which again, I'm going to bang on about it again in a second, <laughs> where can... <laughs> Where can people find you online and offline if you're listening in Slovakia, which I believe one person uh -huh. does? Uh, I will usually direct everyone to my podcast website, which is called the backgrounddancer.com. So background dancer with two Ds. Uh, yeah, just at backgrounddancer.com. All my social media links are there. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest. Um, you'll mostly find the podcast profiles but then you know you'll also find my individual profiles there uh, you can find me on instagram most of the time at jason l-i-e-l jason leal or facebook which is jason michael yup y-a-p so those are the the primary ones brilliant i'll make sure that i have your main links in the show notes for everybody to click on and follow you make sure you do it guys and girls um thank you so much jason really i really appreciate you joining me today and i can't wait to actually listen back to this um and i'm, I'm sure everyone listening's going to get so much out of it um thank you all so much for joining jason and i today if you have a passion for the performing arts and you've got any interest in business and entrepreneurship entrepreneurship I cannot recommend Jason's podcast, The Background Dancer, enough. Please do go check it out wherever you like to get your shows. That's it for another week. As always, if you're liking the show, please give us a rating and review if your favoured podcast platform allows. It really helps new listeners to find the show. It helps us to grow, and who knows, you might just bring someone to the show who might really need us at this time in their life. Also remember, sharing is caring, and Tailoring Talk is evolving into a show where my guests and I share stories with a view to trying to help people and make the world a slightly better place. So do share us with your family, friends and colleagues. Good luck, England, and I hope by the time this goes out, they have actually brought the Euro 2020 trophy home. Whatever you got up to on cup final evening, I hope you and yours had a wonderful time. Take care, be good to each other, and I can't wait for you to join me on the next one.